The Country Sport Breakfast with Brian Kelly. Live from the National Field Days at Mystery Creek. Thanks to NetSpeed. Get unlimited rural broadband today. Gold Sport. It's business time. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. Business time, and there'll be a lot of business done here at the National Field Days over the next uh, four days. Phil O'Reilly, I thought you might be popping your uh, pretty little face in here, mate. Well, I, I was trying to. I was uh, I was invited actually to attend one of the lunches, but uh, my diary just got in the way. Regrettably, I'm jealous because I'd, I'd love to have gone to Field Day. Sounds like it's going to be a great great couple of days there. Oh, it'll be amazing, and, and I'm astounded at how much business does actually get done here. I mean, the Absolutely. Irish have been, the Irish contingent have been coming here for the past 15 or 16 years, and there's a lot of business that goes their way, and, and vice versa. Yeah, that's right, and it's it's a great celebration, of course, of mm. of regional and rural New Zealand. I was in I was in Buenos Aires a few years ago, and they do their version of field days right in the middle of Buenos Aires. It's amazing. So you wow. turn up like out of the city. It's like a Think of it like a like an Ellerslie showgrounds or something if you if you're from Auckland and uh, they've got a much bigger version of it. So in the middle of Buenos Aires they've got cows and they've got sheep and they've got you know shearing and they've got utes and God knows what. So it's a real so it's, it's field days come to the city which is uh, which is a yeah, great amazing. example of it. But the other field days brilliant great fun. Let's talk about tourism bouncing back or is it what's happening on the tourism front in New Zealand? Yeah. Actually, I was interesting. I was doing these numbers just yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, looking at uh, tourism trends. The MB, uh, the Ministry of Business, Innovation, Employment, hopefully, hopefully tracks this stuff for a lifetime for everybody. And one thing that was striking was that tourism numbers are not yet really bouncing back, and that's also the case for business travellers not really coming back just yet. And that surprised me a little bit. I thought the tourism would bounce back much more quickly than it than it uh, clearly is. Now, the reason for that, I suspect, there's a couple of reasons. I suspect one is airline uh, capacity has been pretty weak until just recently. Secondly, the, the, the price of travel is massive, and I'm certainly hearing that not just from business people, but also from, from friends and family, and I'm seeing it myself as I travel around. And the third thing is, of course, that New Zealand opened last. Uh, you know, so if you're going on a trip, you know, New Zealand's a long way away, and you'll tend to plan it, uh, you'll tend to plan for it a long way out. So the fact that New Zealand only really opened in April or so, uh, you know, means that perhaps we'll we'll be a bit later on in terms of the tourism boom. But here's the thing that really worried me. Some of the voices out of the tourism sector, when I looked at all this yesterday, said, look, that's actually a good thing that tourists aren't coming back because we don't have the people to service them. And I thought, jeepers, creepers, here we are, you know, holding ourselves back, tying one arm behind our back, saying, actually, maybe it's a good thing we don't have tourists here. In other words, our biggest export earner, before COVID, maybe it's a good idea that it doesn't come back because we simply don't have the people to service it. I just thought, boy, what are we doing here yeah. as a country in terms of saying, let's make sure we can actually get some small businesses up and running, get some of those um, get some of those good uh, export dollars coming into our economy, which is what tourism dollars are. And I thought, gee, we've got something wrong here, haven't we? So you know, maybe it's a bit of a harder road back for tourism, but they'll certainly, I think, become more and more of a driver of our export success over the next six months or so. Let's hope. Yeah, Phil, very good point. All right, uh, second thing today, the protest this week by the small business owners, the dairy owners of New Zealand, obviously following that tragic event in Sandringham. What does all that mean for small business owners here? Yeah, one of, one of the things that, that struck me about that was how, uh, you know, the tragic events, of course, and, and uh, you know, I thought, you know, a very good thing that those that those business owners uh, stood up and said, we, you know, that's enough. You know, we, we, we want to be safe in our places of work and we want to be safe serving our communities and I 
and no wonder New Zealanders all stood stood by them and I saw a lot of very positive media commentary. A couple of things about that that struck me. One was, the, the, the biggest thing that struck me was how business uh, and the business voice and the business presence in communities has changed since COVID. You know, uh, before COVID, we just thought the corner store was a place we went and got our ciggies or our Coke or our whatever, you know, the milk that we'd forgotten to get from the supermarket. But since COVID, I think there's been a real recognition of the role of small business in particular in our communities, because during COVID, those were the shops that were open and we could go there and we could one and one out, we remember, uh, and we could go and actually shop there. And we, and we got to understand how important small business was, I think, for our, for our communities. And the fact that those businesses can't afford to harden their premises is, is part of the issue. Of course, the government needs to step up with them about the, you hardly ever hear of a bank robbery these days, do you? And the reason is, <laughs> It's actually quite hard for banks to get robbed these days. The technology inside a bank branch is is pretty intense. Mm. There's a lot of physical security. And, of course, they don't hold much cash anymore. So those same people that might have robbed a bank 20 years ago <laughs> are now robbing dairies and, and others because they're not quite so hard. And so we need to think as a community about how we, how we uh, uh, protect those businesses and how we make sure that they're healthy because what we learned during COVID was that we need them, that we can't just take them for granted. And so I... And not only, not only last week did I stand in solidarity with those with those dairy owners, but also I thought, gee, there's some really interesting developments that have happened since COVID where we now respect them and understand their role much better than we might have previously. Totally agree with that. Um, thirdly this week, Phil, the, the, the debate this week about whether we should retain access to National Super at 65 or whether we should raise it. What do you think? Yeah, there's an interesting debate there. The Retirement Commissioner, whatever they call themselves these days, uh, came out with a report. It's a, tri- it's a three-yearly report they must publish. It's part of what they need to do, saying what should happen with National Super. And they said, well, it should stay at 65. Now, that's unusual for them to say that because in every other developed economy around the world, the age of national of eligibility to the pension or to National Super, whatever you define it as, has been rising. And that's, of course, because populations are ageing. And, and uh, if you're not careful, what you'll be doing is paying an awful lot of National Superannuation to people who don't really need it because they're no, not infirm, they're not retired and so on. So it's a big debate going on around the world. Now, what was interesting was that the Retirement Commissioner, for those of you who haven't been catching up with this this week, said the reason it needs to stay at 65 is because of Maori and Pacifica people who are often in physical uh, work, labour work, and, and as a result need to retire a bit earlier because you know basically their bodies are broken. That's a terrible thing and a terrible outcome. But, you know, I think the solution to this, and as I see the National Party leader, Christopher Luxon, come out and say, no, no, well, really, it does need to rise over time. And those are both sensible debates to have. And, and uh, it seems to me that the, the, the British have the best idea here. What they say is that you can retire early if you like, but you just get a slightly lesser payout for a longer time. But it's your choice. You can, you can wait for the bigger payout at, at 70 or whatever the UK situation is, or you can get it early, quite early if you want it, but it's just a lesser payout over a longer time. You know, that kind of creative thinking, I think, is what we really need in this debate, rather than simply saying, because one part of our community uh, is poorly off, we, we, should just, we should just do the same for everybody. I think we need to think about much more targeted superannuation assistance to those who really might need it, uh, rather than simply saying it's one size fits all. Totally agree with you, Phil. Hey, great to chat, mate. We'll do it again next week. Ninety percent of parenting is just thinking about when you can have a break. 
And when you do take a break, enjoy the Parenting Hangover podcast. They go together like a tutu and jandals. We've said from the get-go, we ain't parenting experts. No. But it's cool to hear, what is your neighbour doing? What do they say? A problem shared is a problem halved. Oh, that's good. Not that my children are problems, but I feel better talking about it. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.